My name is Elisa Tran. Singing was something I always really loved doing. Um, I joined choir when I was 12. And kind of after that, I always kind of felt shy singing for some reason. Like it just some, it wasn't something that I was comfortable with, but I, I knew that I really loved it. And so I was kind of singing by myself at home for a good 10 years. Um, and I performed here and there. So I kind of describe my style as R&B with like an indie flair. I really like Trey songs. And so I sing, um, so it starts like, so hey boy, it's your birthday, open wide, I know you're thirsty, say hi, let me hear you say hi. For me, I express a lot of my emotions through singing, whether that be sad or anger or sadness or anger or happiness, kind of singing kind of goes along with all those emotions. And I feel like learning about the civil rights movement, singing, was a really big part of that. Singing was the way that they got through all their uh, movements that they started. It was always just incorporated in that, and I feel like singing really brings people together. Has it, has it made you cry, doing some of the singing? It actually has. On the last pilgrimage, um, the song that always gets me is We Shall Overcome. Um, and I think we actually sang that song when we were doing a slavery, slavery simulation. We were essentially like locked in this really small room, super claustrophobic, and then out of nowhere, Globe just kind of starts singing that song. And then all of those emotions that I was feeling going through that activity just kind of hit me at once, and I honestly couldn't stop crying. I think it's really, really, really important that we create uh, a safe space where we can allow ourselves to process things differently, not judge each other, um, and, and support each other uh, as we go through this experience together. The highs and the lows, because there's going to be a lot of highs, there's going to be a lot of laughter, uh, but there's going to be a lot of pain. I mean, this is the fourth time that I'm doing this uh, with David and Jason. And there's going to be some places where you can't help but feel the pain, or you can't help but feel anger, or you can't help but feel loss. And I think it's really, really important that we create that space uh, for each other. Give it up for Dr. J, y'all. Give it up for Dr. J. Good evening. Good evening. Thank you very much. The idea of love, very important. But understand that creating the beloved community doesn't always feel like sweet love it hurts sometimes and it takes a great deal of work a great deal of work as well as courage to keep yourself open to others ideas takes a little courage doesn't it mr white it takes a courage that is willing to confront what is wrong in the moment those of us that are passive Nonviolence is not. Nonviolence is direct. Nonviolence can bring out the hidden capabilities and capacities of each individual if they're encouraged with love. Unconditional form of love for another because it is what you would like to receive. Or you'd like your younger brothers, sisters, cousins, or yet to be born children to receive. Oh, man.
What I really want to say about Dylan is that he has a really big heart. And I've learned that through two things. One is he is a he is a mentor um, in the UW Dream Project. He goes to low-income high schools and mentors high school students um, and helps them to get into college. Shake it up for that. Shake it up for that. All right, thanks, Ari. Um, when you guys hear, hear the word Alabama, um, kind of in the past decade, what's something that comes to your mind? Just throw out some words. Yeah, so that's what I'm here today, is uh, to talk to you guys about football. Um, football has been an enormous part of my life growing up, uh, and it's something that I did with my dad, and it's also something that I shared with uh, both my dad and gr granddad, who are both from the state of Alabama. Um, but I want to take you guys back to another pretty successful time in uh, Alabama football history, and that was in the 60s. And that was before the Alabama team had integrated. Um, we all, of course, have seen like the stand in the schoolhouse door, George Wallace blocking the schoolhouse door. Um, but he was also blocking, you know, Legion Field in the locker room. Um, Bear Bryant had been the coach of Alabama at the time, had been trying to recruit players since the early 60s. He met with John McKay, the coach of USC in the late 60s, and USC had been fully integrated for maybe 15 or 20 years at this point, and he scheduled two games. And the first game was going to take place September 12th, 1970, in Birmingham. And it would be the first time that a fully integrated team had come into any part of the South to play a football game. And this was going to be against an all-white Crimson Tide team. They were nervous. This was a bunch of African-American players coming into the heart of the South. The images on their mind were the Freedom Rides, you know, and the bus in Anniston, the, uh, the beatings in Montgomery. Those were the type of images that they had in their mind. They were nervous to be in this place. And so my dad, um, at this movie theater, he sat behind them and this is one of the things I'm proud of about my dad is he reached out to them and that's something that he taught me. Um, he started talking to these players and this 16 year old white kid in the middle of Alabama, in the middle of Birmingham was talking to them. Um, and I think he showed them a different part of the South than most of the nation had seen before. What it meant to be black in Selma was that you went to an all-black school, not to the white school. What it meant to be black in Selma is to um, get your books from the leftover and the worn-out books from the white school. And um, what it meant to be black in Selma is to go downtown and see a, a white and a color water fountain then if you were to drink out of the uh, white water fountain, you would either be chastised or possibly jailed. Alano Ritchie mentioned once in Tuscaloosa that he went to a store downtown in, in, uh, in his hometown, um, and uh, he inadvertently drank from the white fountain, and some white guy came up and just chastised his father, and he was um, amazed because he thought his father was the biggest, strongest guy in the world, like all little kids do. And his father simply didn't do anything or didn't say anything. 
Um, he later on got the nerve to ask his father, you know, you know, I thought I was, you're going to whoop that guy's butt. You know, what happened? Why didn't you react to him? He said, well, Lionel, I had two options. Uh, one was to be a man, and the other was to live to raise my family. That was the type of uh, place that you grew up in. And it's okay if you don't get it right away. It's a process, a journey, especially for my beautiful fellow brown women and girls out there. It's hard, harder on us, because not only color that we must endure, but our gender and sex if we wish to, and every other intersecting identity which exists. Pero con mucho orgullo, mucho pride, we will carry on. Loving ourselves is so often the hardest step, but like dust, we'll rise. I think these trips have made me want to be a better person. I don't know exactly how much I've actually developed in becoming a better person, but I know like that is my end goal, and I know that these trips really inspire me to take steps to become a better person. Is this trip going to make you a better person, John Ryan? Absolutely. I'm going to get to know a lot of really cool people that I haven't known before in a unique environment of uh, uh, thinking about the great uh, trial of America still ongoing that took place in the 50s and 60s, which I missed because I was in the library the whole time. Is that true? Do you feel like you missed it? <laughs> yes. I'm only aware of it through reading. Uh, and a few people that I know that were involved, but I, I kind of missed the 60s in many ways. Is this going to make you a better person, Terry Tazzioli? That is a very difficult question, Steve Sherry. My job. I know it is. It's going to make me a better person. You know, my answer would be I hope it makes me a stronger person. For me, the strength comes in being a stronger advocate for people who are learning, people who are trying to grow, people who have been shut down or put down all of their lives. And, and to be um, a more forceful presence with people who don't see that, who say things to me that I think I know I should respond, and I don't. I am Nancy Jo Biddle, married to John Keegan. <laughs> you know, I hate to tell you this, my biggest hope, I don't even know, but part of it has already, just meeting Maria and Cynthia, already is um, inspiring to me, but I believe the people on the trip are going to be as inspiring as the people we are going to learn about. My name is Cynthia Wanjiku. Um, what I think will be most inspiring about our group is being able to break through differences, whatever it is, it might be sex, class, gender, age, and being able just to like meet at the at the forefront of like being able to discuss issues that matter today and in the past and we can maybe hopefully like figure out how we can like better our our circles the ones we go back home to and like talk to more often so we can better the world maybe Freedom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah.